0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy-to-understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about how active fund managers or active share investors uh, fared last year through the volatility. There's two types of uh, funds management, active uh, and let's call rules-based or passive uh, management uh, management. Which I've spoken about before, uh, certainly a lot in my book, but even on this uh, podcast as well. Uh, active fund managers typically use their skill and experience to pick which stocks to invest in. Whereas the alternative to active is just to use in invest in index funds that invest in a broad uh, index. One criticism of index funds is they just blindly. Uh, invest in a broad index, and that might not always make a lot of sense because index funds sort of ride through the highs and lows. Uh, And of course, if we think about last year, there was a lot of volatility and arguably potentially uh, a lot more capacity for active fund managers to outperform. And I wanted to uh, go back and see uh, did they? Um, and uh, really uncover that sort of performance. So if we think back through uh, last calendar year 2020, uh, between the start of the year 1 January and about mid-March when sort of the COVID thing broke out, um, the international uh, share index fell by about 20% until mid, about mid-March. And then from mid-March to the end of the year rebounded by about 40%. And for that whole calendar year, the return was about 11%. Uh, So uh, that's hedged, so it excludes currency fluctuations. So, you know, down 20, up 40, year to year, up 11%. So quite a lot of volatility, and the Australian market um, didn't do as well, but still had quite high volatility. So the Australian share market fell by about 27% to about mid-March, and then rebounded by about 33% but still finished about 3% down for the year. So uh, very much, a, I mean, you describe both of those uh, experiences as a V-shaped recovery. But that's only really part of the story because I think the, the market's reaction to the COVID situation um, potentially created or certainly in hindsight created some good long-term investing decisions or opportunities, I should say, uh, in, and it punished certain sectors of the market um, significantly more than others and probably the most punished were oil and gas, airlines, travel and tourism, real estate and banking. Uh, so really they got, uh, they got smashed around a lot, uh, more than others and potentially if you're an active fund manager looking back and taking a long-term view, there was some opportunities there. So really in a bull market, that's when you know all stocks are rising um, using an index fund in that situation gives you a broad-based exposure and probably you know makes sense or logical sense that you would capture most of the returns. But potentially people might think it's logical that in a bear market or a market with a lot more volatility that that's where active investors uh, will outperform because that's when you can pick stocks or hopefully you're stock picking. Uh, will do better than the broader market, which is not so great in the first place. So, for example, uh, technology stocks were doing incredibly well through most of that uh, sort of midpoint of that COVID period, so the middle of last year. Uh, And then as vaccines started to emerge, um, the sectors that were originally punished the most, uh, so the oil and gas airlines, travel, tourism, uh, those sorts of sectors, they started to recover and started to recover quite strongly. So, um, admittedly, and certainly with the benefit of hindsight, an active fund manager could have been, say, overweight technology for the first half of 2020, uh, and then switched to the recovering sectors for the remaining part of the year. And that approach, in hindsight, again would have outperformed. Uh, now, of course, we're all wiser in hindsight, and perhaps it's a little unfair to um, uh, to, to conduct that analysis. But the point I'm trying to make is that if you're going to pay an active manager higher fees than, say, what you'd have to pay an index manager, surely you've got to uh, expect some sort of return on that investment. Surely you've got to expect that they're going to use their skill and experience to identify those opportunities. So let's see how they uh, performed. And I look at the what's called the SPIVA report, which is standards and poor index versus active report, which is updated every six months and essentially compares the performance generated by active fund managers and then calculates the, the proportion of active fund managers that failed to beat the index. So it gives you a sort of active versus passive and, you know, who, who are the winners, who are the losers, if you like. Uh, and I've got a link in, naturally, in the show notes and the blog on the website Uh, to that report so if we have a look at the performance for the year uh, the calendar year 2020 we can see that in the US 60% failed to beat the index in Australia 56% failed to beat the index in in Japan it was 54% and in Europe actually um, only 37 or a third nearly a third of the market failed to beat the index um, but really, longer-term performance uh, really tells the story and, and is far more compelling evidence, I would suggest. And generally, over any five-year period, approximately 75 to 80% of active fund managers fail to beat the index. Uh, and really, of the 20 to 25% of active managers that actually do beat the index over a five-year period, it's not the same managers each year. In fact, the data shows that there's less than a 10% chance of a active fund manager outperforming any any more than two consecutive years. Uh, so you've really then got to switch to, you know, the next fund manager and, and make sure you pick that uh, correctly. Therefore, in summary, excluding Europe, you know, less than um, half of active fund managers beat the index last year, which I think is a pretty... Um, pretty poor performance. So it's certainly better than longer term performance because, there, well, arguably there was a lot more upside to beat the market or beat the index uh, last year. But you would expect um, uh, more active fund managers to, to perform uh, better in that sort of environment than what they have. Another thing to recognize is that a lot of active fund managers are very scared to underperform the index because it's really not good for their business. It makes them less popular, attracts less uh, inflows, you know, less money to manage and so forth, and it's just not good for business. So they tend to construct their portfolios to closely replicate the index. They want to go too far away from what the index looks like because that minimizes the risk of underperforming. And this is what they call index hugging. So you start to invest in an active fund manager because you think they're going to actively make investment decisions that are going to benefit you in the long run, but really what they're doing is you end up with a sort of quasi-index, if you like, and why would you pay an invest manager between two and ten times more in investment fees just to replicate the index? Of course, that would be dumb and you shouldn't and, and wouldn't do that. Um, similarly, uh, active managed funds rarely go to cash. So one of their risks is if they're not fully invested in the market and the market takes off, they will never... It's always very difficult to make up that underperformance because they miss the boat and they miss the returns. But really, you know, if you're going to employ high-conviction uh, active manager and they really have a strong investment case to to reduce investment exposure or even go fully to cash. You want them to be able to do that. But the reality is that uh, commercial imperatives and tensions uh, means that, that they tend to uh, want to stay fully invested. So the upside is that really in a year that um, provided lots of investment opportunities, and one that and ones by the way that that still um, rules based index investing still allowed us to capture because we were able to use value fund managers, uh, for example, that are going to skew to to those sectors that that look better valued than the sectors that didn't. So again, oil and gas was a big one that that screamed out. Uh, we made uh, certainly. Uh, some investments in the energy sector to benefit from the rebound. Um, But, you know, banks was another one. So a lot of our value-based index methodologies, particularly here in Australia, were heavily uh, invested into banks, so heavy exposure into banks, uh, and that served us really well uh, through the recovery. So you don't need active fund management uh, necessary to sort of pick those uh, market trends or benefit from them. Uh, But certainly, as we can see, given less than half of uh, active fund managers beat the market last year, uh, we know that active funds management doesn't really um, uh, provide that benefit. Instead of referring it to as active versus passive, I like to call it rules-based investing because rules-based investing includes uh, traditional index funds but also factor-based investing and all the sorts of things that I talk about. It differs from active investing because Uh, A rules-based fund doesn't have to pay uh, an expensive portfolio manager to make a lot of subjective decisions. Instead, they use rules-based sort of quantitative methodologies uh, that are typically rooted in uh, sound academia research um, in order to uh, make our investment decisions for us. So there's a few advantages to rules-based investing of which I've spoken about, as I said a bit in this podcast previously, but just to summarise and to reiterate some of those benefits. The first one is um, obviously better longer term returns, and I've talked a little bit about that and used last year as an example of a year that um, that that was a bit of a gift, if you like, to active fund managers, but they failed to sort of capture that, um, and it eliminates the risk of trying to pick the right active fund manager by the way so of course there's always exceptions that prove the rule there will be active fund managers that beat the index but you don't uh, using a rules-based approach you don't have to um, uh, pick them you don't have to take that risk to pick which uh, managers are going to outperform and then when to dump those managers because they will eventually underperform Uh, secondly uh, much lower fees active fund managers tend to charge between one and one and a half percent per annum Uh, Whereas index funds range typically between 0.2 and 0.4 of a percent, but some are even much lower than that. Uh, And lower fees mean lower risk because uh, you don't have to outperform to cover your fees uh, by a a greater margin. Uh, Lower taxes, typically index funds tend to be more tax efficient because the fund turnover is a lot lower. Uh, and so, therefore, the um, incomes versus income versus capital gain is different. Uh, so, less realised gains uh, means less tax along the way, or at least you pay each year and you get to reinvest your capital gain tax-free until you obviously sell the investment. So, lower turnover, lower tax. And fourth, um, they're more diversified. And diversification tends to be the common thread Uh, or common theme, if you like, where outperformance uh, is achieved. And so, for example, if you look at an international index fund, uh, Vanguard, for example, holds more than um, uh, 1,500 different individual stocks, uh, whereas most active investors, active funds hold less than... uh, a uh, hundred, and often often fewer than that. So uh, often, a lot of those active managed funds hold uh, thirty stocks or something like that. So they have uh, more concentration risk. So what can we learn from this analysis and this experience last year? Well, firstly, there's a huge body of evidence, and a growing body of evidence that demonstrates adopting a rules based approach to investing in the share market is likely to generate better returns net of fees and taxes. That's not to say, of course, that um, every active manager uh, will fail to beat the index every year. Of course, there's going to be outliers. Of course, there's going to be better performers. But if you want to adopt a investment methodology that has the highest probability of generating um, more than adequate returns, uh, a rules-based investing strategy is the way to go. Secondly, uh, 2020 has proved yet again that investing in the share market, you must be prepared for volatility. So typically, there's going to be one really major volatility event every decade or so, uh, and then there's going to be smaller volatility events every two to three years. The best thing to do when they occur is to close your eyes and ears uh, and focus on long-term outcomes. Uh, Remain invested, enjoy the upside, um, and realise that volatility is just natural in markets. Uh, And if you're not able to do that, well, maybe share investing just isn't for you. Uh, I hope that's been uh, a useful exercise. As I said, we've got more data and links uh, on the blog on the website and, of course, in the show notes. Uh, i remind everyone, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please do leave a rating. It's the way it uh, achieves a higher ranking on Apple and other platforms. And until next week, bye for now.